You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hi, nerds. It's Sarah and Casey here, uh, bringing you another episode. For this week, we wanted to talk about the history of the post office, which is not something I'd ever really thought I would want to talk about necessarily. Um, (laughs) But the post office has been in the news a lot lately. There's a lot of controversies and questions going on. And so we thought that a fun way to kind of talk about what's going on now would be to look at the history of the post office and how it was created and why it came to be. So Casey's going to go through all of that history, and then I'll talk a bit about kind of why it matters at the end and why the post office is so important today, um, and some of the different factors leading to what you see all over the internet and the news. Um, So we've decided the post office is interesting now. Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest, like full disclosure, as I was doing this research, I was like, astounded by the amount right. of information and like I guess I've always been mildly curious about it and to be totally frank like this could be an entire podcast there is yeah. so much and like just looking through the facts like I had to I mean not even skim what's the word I'm looking for I had to like sift through yeah to just figure out like not just what was interesting, but like what was really important because, you know, it's, it's a government agency technically, or at least it was, I mean, it should be for right. know, it kind of what its purpose is. is, but like it started so just like, I mean, it's a chaotic and really incredible system though. Like right. if you think about what they do and think about like today, right? Like I kept thinking the whole time, like, holy shit, like how did people do this when they didn't have cars? Like, right. Or computers, computers. Yeah. And I know that you'll bring that up when you talk about like why the uh, postal service is like kind of having its really big crisis right now, just between COVID, obviously when we're recording this, it's September of 2020. So hopefully when you're listening, the world hasn't ended. Um, Well, I I actually like the idea that the world has ended, but you're still listening. Actually, yeah, that's true. So hopefully the, well, I don't want to hope the world has ended. If the world has ended, we appreciate your patronage. Yes. But hopefully it hasn't. This can be considered a primary source. So just like FYI. Perfect. Uh, Okay. So the foundations of the USPS. So in the early years of North American colonies or the British colonies is probably what I'll just call them, even though North American is probably more appropriate, but whatever. There were a lot of attempts made to initiate a postal service because obviously you have people who need to communicate from Great Britain all the way to these new colonies. And obviously over time, we didn't have 13 straight up, but over right. time we developed into 13. God, so every time was, you this- say the colonies, I sing the little song in my head, the like 50 nifty United States from 13 original colonies. <laughs> I have never heard You've that never song You've never heard before. 50 nifty no. United States? That's how I no. know. Like that's the only reason I can list all the states is that it lists all of them in order. Is no. this like the Alabama, Arkansas thing? Yes. Is that like what it is? Yeah. Okay, so very quick side note. When I was probably supposed to be learning all of this stuff, I lived in Asia. So uh, you didn't learn from yeah. 50 United States. No. So like I kind of came back in fifth grade and I was like, I can figure this out, I think. That's um funny. I don't ever remember that song or ever learning the states like that, but I can count to ten in Mandarin. So well, like I mean that's cooler, to be honest. 
<laughs> it is, but it's like mostly useless. Like no one's like, oh, what's the capital of Utah? And I'm like, ye uh sansu woo. Like I'm not like <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, true. <laughs> um, so yeah. So basically the first postal system was on a much smaller scale. It usually involved just like one colony that really didn't have a lot of communication between other colonies. It was kind of more like you know, the example I found was the Massachusetts Bay Colony set up a single location in Boston where a person could post a letter back home to England. Because, again, it's still a colony. It's not, like, fully formed yet. Um, and then there were other attempts focused on dedicating a postal service that was between two of the larger colonies, so Virginia and Massachusetts. But, again, the services that were available were, like, super disjointed, super limited, and it was a lot more informal and independently run as opposed to like an actual functioning agency. Right. So um, in 19, I'm sorry, in 1961. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we're at folks. In 1691, Thomas Neal got a 21 year grant from the British crown to establish a North American postal service. So officially on September, uh, September. Oh my God. I'm, what is happening to me today? It's fine. I'm not even going to edit this out. People need to know what's happening. <laughs> they need to know. I'm fine. <laughs> they need to know what five days of virtual teaching has done to this person. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Um, so officially on February 17th, 1691, William III and Mary II established a patent for Neil to, quote, erect, settle, and establish within the chief parts of their majesty's colonies and plantations in America an office or offices for receiving and dispatching letters and packets and to receive, send, and deliver the same under such rates and sums of money as the planters shall agree to give and to hold and enjoy the same for the term of 21 years. So a post office. So basically a post office. That run-on sentence was all just to say Thomas Neal got a like bunch of money that he could set up a 21-year like post office. Cool. So basically, we have the first postal service in America commencing in February of 1692. So... This included the exclusive right to establish and collect formal postal tax, which is going to eventually be repealed. And then like the Stamp Act is going to be a huge part of the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. um, I had a New Jersey fun fact in this in that mm -hmm. Andrew Hamilton, uh, who was the governor of New Jersey at the time, was actually elected to be Neil's like deputy postmaster, second in command kind of guy. Okay. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. And I saw the name Hamilton and I was like, oh my God. But right. But not that different one. Different Hamilton. <laughs> yep. Eventually, Massachusetts and other colonies quickly passed similar postal laws and it started to be a more cross col like cross colonial, I guess we'll say. Because yeah, like it wasn't a country yet. So cross colonial yeah, like postal service. Yeah. Intercolonial. <laughs> intercolonial yes exactly um so the patent actually expired in 1710 because the british parliament had officially extended the english postal system to the colonies so his like more private individual one that was just for the colonies was basically eradicated and replaced with what the british parliament had used and right. was using in britain at the time so then we get to this little thing called the american revolution never <laughs> so heard of it yeah have you ever heard of it it's like uh this thing america did yeah i saw a musical about it once mm -hmm. <laughs> was that the one with the um the oh my god i was i totally just blanked on what i was gonna say i had a great joke guys okay. this is what's happening my brain is just straight up mush <laughs> honestly i'm gonna just be totally frank as well with this i have been doing so much last minute wedding shit that, yeah that's true like 
I I did all of my research on the postal service in the last five hours, and it is eleven fourteen a.m. when we're recording this. You wake so up I have been so up. early. I know. Well, I've been up since six because I one couldn't sleep, and two, I was like, I have to research the entirety of the oh postal service in the next four. Hours. I mean, I did that last night. Like I got home at like eight and was like, okay, well, here's the next like three hours of my life. Yeah. Is- well, my my plan was to do that yesterday. Um, and then I got sidetracked into like ordering linens for my backyard wedding. And it's fair. Like, Damn it. So prior to the American Revolution, there really wasn't a lot of business or government correspondence conducted between the colonies, like I said, because most mail pretty much just went from offices in London to wherever they needed to go in the colonies. So I actually found that one of the big places where a lot of letters were kept were counting houses. So a counting house, I kind of got it as like a more private bank, like a like a personal like accountant almost. Okay. Um it's like think of Scrooge in a Christmas carol or really okay. a Disney Christmas carol. Right, know? right. Or right. a Muppet Christmas carol. Any, Any Christmas of the, carol. the real Christmas carol. Correct. So like Scrooge runs it and usually those were like super miserable places to work but that's where all of the like letters and payments and documents were kept which is where what like most of the mail was made up of okay so philadelphia becomes the information hub of the newly forming nation and just before and during and after the revolution it was the original seat of the continental congress so while the founding fathers are kind of getting their shit together and trying to figure out what they're going to do. It becomes really clear that there needs to be some type of like established postal system because of all of the news, like the new laws they were writing, military orders, political intelligence that needed to be circulated, needed to be circulated quickly. Right. In addition to that, which I actually thought this was really cool. And I feel like this speaks to like what journalism is slash supposed to be in the United (laughs) States. Fair. Um, is that they wanted to get like access of information to all people. So they didn't just want news reports and newspapers to be just for like the elite. Mm-hmm. They really wanted like everyday people to have access to it. So journalists actually take the lead in establishing some type of postal system more efficiently with the Continental Congress because they're able to like circulate more newspapers and information they wanted to reach subscribers at a low cost and they actually kind of petitioned the uh congress to kind of do more in terms of creating uh postal legislation okay uh so between 1774 and 1775 the london-based postal service was pretty much overthrown because if y'all didn't know what was going on in 1774 and 1775 (laughs) uh we are in the the birthing stages of the Declaration of Independence and our breakup letter with Britain, stuff like that. So officially on July 26, 1775, the United States Post Office was created by the Second Continental Congress, and it was briefly headed uh, by Benjamin Franklin as the Postmaster General. But it technically wasn't official because the United States wasn't actually real yet. (laughs) So they're going to have to go through a revolution in order to like you know, become real. <laughs> this was something that was like genuinely very confusing to me when I first listened to Hamilton is that it was like 1776 and there was a revolution, but then they like weren't America. At, like the war yeah. and stuff kept going past 1776. Yeah. And I think that actually just speaks to how, 
how history is portrayed or like yeah. what we choose to celebrate because right. like what we celebrate the day the Declaration of Independence was like written slash signed and I mean we still fought I mean I really should know this I hate myself for it's not fine. but I don't teach American history so the Battle of Yorktown takes place in the latter half of Act One eighty one. Yeah, 1781. The second the second half of Act 1. Exactly. This is all I know about American history, guys. <laughs> I mean, like it's fair. I am not like even mad about that. Actually, on September 28th, so we're coming up on its like couple hundred year anniversary. I'm not yeah. going to count that. So yeah, so 1781-1782 is when we actually are established. So, you know, we celebrate 5 or 6 years before that, but I think it's probably just a neater little thing to wrap it up and be right. Like, We're breaking up with you, you know what I mean? So right, that's when we like decided. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we should start a movement to celebrate breakups, like, like anniversaries all, of breakups, all breakups. Yeah, I'm yeah. down. I think that would be a really fun. That's like people who celebrate, um, like people, like I guess the way you would celebrate a birthday, yeah, or an anniversary. That's well, like how people God. have, like how people have divorce parties. Yes, that that's what I was thinking of, Sarah. Yes. Thank you. You're I was welcome. Like, what's I'm that here thing? for you. He's like, what's that thing when you don't want to be married to a person anymore? A divorce <laughs> party. Yeah, exactly. So a divorce party. So I feel like people yeah. should just do that with relationships in general. I'm down with that. And call it Independence Days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the first real official post office that was under the United States was created in 1792 after the American colonies. Total victory over the British. And it was called the Post Office Department. So the USPOD. So USPOD. USPOD. Uh, and USPOD, USPOD, <laughs> was based uh, on the constitutional authority, which empowered Congress to set up and establish post roads and post offices. So this law basically allowed for a much more expansive postal network. And the quote I saw was, it, quote, guaranteed the sanctity of personal correspondence. So, I mean, I interpret that as like, this is the whole you can't legally read other people's mail. Yeah. So like personal privacy. And then also it provided the entire country with low cost access to information on public affairs. So really similar to what I was saying before in that journalists, newspapers, I mean, I guess you would call it the 1790s media wanted people to have access to information. And I think the whole idea in founding the United States was to be like a country of people like and not of elites which right. what an idea you know right <laughs> what a concept if only you included all of your population and right. not just the white male versions of them it's fine yeah <laughs> so one of the things I saw is that the post office used this like initial system of like hub and spoke so basically if you imagine like the hub of a wheel You've got like that central place, that central, what's that called? Hub. Yeah. Hub. Yeah. And then I think that's what it is. That's as like, far as I it. know. Yeah. And then like the spokes are the different branches sticking out from that. So basically from what I got, and again, I'm not 100% sure I fully understood this, full disclosure, Washington DC was the hub and chief sorting center. So you'd have like a central office where they would sort all of the mail and then you would have routes that would spread that mail out like the spokes of a wheel. But like I couldn't figure out if that meant that all mail went to Washington, D.C. first and then was transported back to other places. Yeah, I don't know. Or like would you have a, a hub in New York City and then you'd have spokes that would go out to, I don't know, New Jersey and 
upstate New York and stuff. Like I couldn't figure out how that really worked. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So like I said, the 1700s was kind of just like figuring it out, getting their shit together. Like how do we have a postal service? Like what does that look like? What do we want it to do? The 19th century, so this is the 1800s, is going to be a huge, huge component in how rapidly mail delivery is actually going to change. And I never thought I would be excited about saying those words in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) But it was actually really crazy to think of how quickly this system had to adapt to, I mean, the 1800s are full of technological advancements. It's basically the industrial revolution and technological revolution with more machinery we've got the railroads um and i'll actually do like a little segment about the like pony express and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so in the 19th century the post office played a really crucial role in just the national expansion of the united states because in the 1800s we have westward movement we've got that you know wonderful manifest destiny Mm, and (laughs) you know the united states wanted to create an inexpensive, fast, and convenient way to communicate. Because, you know, for me, again, like, I think about, like, I can just text my friend, you know, I have a couple teacher friends who live in California, who live in um, Long Island, who live in North Carolina. Shout out if you're listening. I love you, girls. And I could just text them and be like, oh, how's school going or whatever. But here, if you're trying to get in contact with people living in California, I mean, you don't even know if they made it. You know what I mean? Well, it's like for us, mail is the most inefficient way possible of corresponding with somebody. But at the time, it was like a revolutionary way. Right. Yeah. And it was it was a consistent way. And like, it's interesting how and I'm sure you'll talk about this, but like the mail has become crucial for other industries. But for Mm -hmm. communication, that's no longer the case. Right. So I think it's kind of interesting how it used to be like the most important thing. And actually when I talk about the Pony Express, that was something really cool that I thought was like way longer term, but that's going to be replaced pretty quickly as well. So yeah, the, the reason why a lot of the articles I was reading about this too. So, I mean, I got a lot of the stuff from the actual USPS website. Yeah. They have good they've information. They've got this whole great information section. Yeah. About like their history and they've got all of these like PDF files of like different modes of transportation for the mail. And like, if that's your jazz, like, like read that. It's so cool, but it's, it's expansive. Like I said, I could probably do an episode on each of those things, but the letters from the early settlers in the West provided a lot of like crucial information for people out East. And also like it made people more interested in going out West. You know, it helped families who were scattered stay in contact with one another. It assisted people who were entrepreneurs in finding business opportunities out West and just regular commercial relationships and interactions between merchants in the West and the wholesalers and eventually factories that were back East. So the Postal Service helped the U.S. Army expand control over the vast Western territories as well. It allowed for widespread circulation of important newspapers. And by the time of Andrew Jackson, who was the, I want to sing, like, do you know Parks and Rec? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, when John Ralphio was like, the worst. Yes. Like that. Yeah. Yep. So that's President Andrew Jackson. Correct. I just needed to, like, put that in there. Correct. Yes. Um, ironically enough, though, the post office department 
enlarged during his tenure as president. But his employees were typically like part of the spoils system. So did you ever learn? I mean, you probably learned about the spoils system when you were like in high school. I probably learned about it. I didn't retain it. So <laughs> that's totally <laughs> fair. Like I forget, like sometimes I have to be like, remember Casey, not everybody gives a shit about this kind of stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> i'll probably find it much more interesting now than i did in high school yeah well i think you're gonna find this really interesting because the spoil system was basically when faithful political supporters of jackson were appointed to positions in his cabinet so what we and have now yeah you could say that okay. you could say that um especially in the post office and uh -huh. like government corporations um as a reward uh, it's like a reward for the patronage so right. like you didn't have to be fully qualified to hold these positions right you just had to help pay to get andrew jackson into power right so, like when we get to our current postmaster general who gave three hundred and sixty thousand dollars to a trump pack yes exactly so the spoil system is that is that yes <laughs> it is happening now folks just look it up the thing is like these appointees didn't really have prior experience in postal service and mail delivery and so eventually in 1883 after the civil war there was a civil service reform act that basically was like no you need to actually put people who know what the hell they're doing in charge <laughs> not just the people who helped you get into power so that's ironic also yeah i say how'd that act go yeah well it worked for a while <laughs> Fair. And then, like, I feel like something happened circa 2016, and then, you know. Oh, it was that thing where the weasel, like, ate the hole in the particle collider? It was that one. <laughs> Have you seen that? No. There's, like, a legit about? theory. Let me find what it's called. That a weasel. Oh, my God. Like, let's see. Collider. Like, so, what is it called? Who's what collider? The Large Hadron Collider. Is like some, I literally don't even know what that is. Smash protons together at the speed of light, blah, blah, blah. It like shut off overnight a few years ago. Okay. In 2016. And what they think happened is like a weasel got in and chewed like a, through the cord. Like pop goes the weasel? Yes. Like a small mammal weasel burrowing, all that. And there's like, and this is what has caused people think that that caused like a rift in the space time continuum and that we oh got basically God. put on like the bad timeline. So wait, can I just ask you a question? How do you just organically know that specific conspiracy <laughs> theory? Like, how do you just know that? Um, I think so. I'm in a Facebook group for like conspiracy theories that I enjoy watching, not because I believe in most of them, um, okay. just because it's fun. Occasionally, there's are we like, talking like are there like flat earthers in this thing? Or? Not quite flat earthers. It's okay. Um, it's some things like this or like they had a 9/11 day yesterday where everyone got to talk about oh. if jet fuel can melt st steel beams. Okay, there's a couple like hardcore like crazy QAnoners in there, but for the most part. It's more like reasonable, like, what do the governments know about aliens and that kind of thing? Mm, okay. But there is okay. like a large conspiracy theory that this is a thing. And so I, I think I saw it referenced and I was like, what the fuck are you saying about like a weasel? <laughs> and then I found this thing called the weasel timeline. Here it is. The weasel timeline. on, on. And it's like. What the fake news won't tell you is the weasel incident caused a rift throughout the multiverse. The walls that separated reality haven't been right since. Some people oh say this is when we entered what they call the darkest timeline. I call it the weasel timeline. Oh my god. Can you send me this? Yes. 
we'll put this in the show notes folks i just figured out what those are and i'm 100 percent gonna share this, <laughs> this in the show notes because like i feel like wow this is like i feel like so sheltered in my world of just like i mean it's I don't not know, a real my day-to-day thing. bullshit that i'm like ah, i it would be i'd feel better if it was real if that's fair it would at least explain some things Right, exactly, exactly. So I, this is probably a good time to kind of, again, these notes are so extensive that like, <laughs> you know, I don't know what the best way to organize things are because it's like everything's happening at all different times. But like some facts are important to know beforehand or after or whatever. So this is probably a good time to kind of just cover how did the mail get around at this time? Because we're going to in a minute get into like the um changes in legislation and also um, steamships and stuff like that. So it's probably better to just kind of go back a little bit and look at what mail delivery looked like and how it kind of changed over time. The first contractors to carry mail, actually, that's something to clarify too, which I didn't fully understand. So initially, there was no like actual postal workers for a lot of this. Okay. From what I understand, it was like the people who were carrying the mail were contracted to do so. It was actually a lot more privatized in that sense, which I thought was interesting. It was more so like, I guess there were people who were in charge of not just collecting the mail or like and sorting the mail that seemed to be hired by the post office. But the people who actually did deliveries were the ones who were contracted for these positions. So the very first contractors way back at the very beginning of pretty much the episode were people on horseback because, you know, how else are they going to get around in the 16 and 1700s? But in 1773, it was noted that there was a stagecoach driver who had been contracted to carry semi-weekly mail between Portsmouth, New Hampshire and Boston, Massachusetts. So they started to actually combine what would technically kind of be public transport so like a stagecoach wasn't necessarily public but it was typically cheaper and more affordable for people and they started to carry mail with those stagecoaches because the journey was pretty regular okay that makes sense yeah yeah so basically like you're already doing this so take it yes which is actually still done today which I again didn't know because I straight up just didn't really know anything about the post office other than like I have to put a stamp on a letter and it goes on the top right corner Mm -hmm. um so if you didn't know that you're welcome (laughs) I hope you just learned a lot um (laughs) but they actually just started to subsidize like public travel and commerce with postal funds which I thought was kind of interesting Uh, So in March of 1845, Congress abandons the preference for using stagecoaches because stagecoaches started to get more and more expensive and they weren't super efficient. But previously they had been like super hell bent on making stagecoaches like the number one way to transport letters. Contractors had to be at least 16 years old up until 1902. And then they set an age limit of 21 years old. But basically that meant that you could be like if you were old enough and you had enough money to like supply your own equipment because that was another thing you had to have horses and a carriage like you couldn't just so it was basically like franchising it yeah exactly that's exactly what it was like and it was kind of also i almost would even equate it to like today's almost like grubhub or uber eats like gig economy yes exactly so like if you could afford it you could do it right Um, if you have the right car then you can Bring mm-hmm. people food. Exactly. Exactly. So subcontractors or carriers could be 16 after 1902 when they kind of changed the age over. But 
it was pretty intense to be contracted to deliver the U.S. mail. So you were like bounded by an oath of office, basically, which was like really freaking intense. So basically from 1802 to 1859, postal laws required carriers to be free white people and anyone who was a violator was fined. So again, here we go with just like here's what you can't fucking do right unless you're white so men this was men would be well actually i didn't see anything explicitly stating it had to be male but i'm gonna go out on a limb and say you probably had to be a dude yeah at least for the most part (sighs) yeah men were given a four-year contract if they um, missed a payment or missed a trip they would not be paid so if they were not a payment so if they missed like a delivery or something for any reason okay regardless of like weather conditions personal health whatever rain or so, sleet or snow mm-hmm, that's kind of what i was thinking um, yeah. and then actually that does come up a little bit later too and if there was some kind of unexcused service failure it could actually result in a fine to the contractor that was like three times worth the trip's price ew yeah so the other thing i saw too was that regular schedules made mail carriers really easy targets for thieves but apparently the criminal punishment for thieves on the mail system was super harsh so if you were found guilty of like robbing a mail carrier you could receive five to ten years of hard labor in prison for the first offense okay and your second offense could be death which is so here's a a fun fact that i found i did not find when this happened but so the longest prison sentence ever given in history was for 384,912 years. And what? It, it was given to a mailman for not delivering mail. Do you know what year that was? I tried to find it and then I got like conflicting information. I found one in Thailand that was in like the 80s where something similar happened. So I don't think it was like super long ago. And I suspect they just had, oh, here we go. So, 22-year-old postman failing to deliver 42,000 letters. 22 years old and you haven't delivered 44,000 letters? Right. Well, I mean, think of, like, how many they do every day. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Especially if this was, like, not necessarily olden times, but, like, not in a technological age where you rely less on physical hard copy mail. Here we go. So it was 1972. And he was in Spain. It wasn't the United States Postal Service, but the rules are similar, right? Like if you aren't delivering your mail, Mm -hmm. you're in trouble. And so he like didn't deliver letters, opened letters, stole some contents of the letters. Like he was doing all sorts of things, but still 384,000 years. What happens at that point? Did he just... so that was prison so that was his like technical when you added all the charges up it added up to that but i think they did some of them um simultaneously right so instead of you you serve the first one and then you serve the next one so he i think was actually like in jail for like 15 years or something what's it say 14 years and two months and he had a large fine so like he didn't serve that long but that was what he was technically sentenced to when you added up like all the convictions, it was 384,000 years worth of convictions. Jeez, that's nuts. Right? For like taking the mail or not taking the yeah. mail, I guess. I mean, I think it's or not <laughs> not taking the mail, like not as, doing your right, job. Like as the case may be. I think it's interesting too because like the mail, especially I guess in the 70s, was probably deeply personal. And yeah. like even today, like when I get like a birthday card from my grandma, I feel like 
the bell of the ball i'm like oh my right. god people are sending me mail like i always think of that easy a quote like put it uh, put it on the pile of gifts from all my other suitors like that's what i think of yeah when i get a letter so it's interesting that it's become so special but i mean there were i mean that's how you waited to communicate with people and like you didn't get to talk to them immediately every day and you like waited for their next correspondence so i think it's kind of cool that i mean while that's like a really intense punishment right i think it's really cool that like it's taken your privacy and your like personal whatever is taken so seriously Seriously. yeah yeah Yeah, and it seems like like from the beginning they really did that like yeah and that's like literally like as soon as they they they're like you can't you know fuck around with personal correspondence right that was like one of the first things like the new congress wrote in their postal service legislation yeah exactly so um i mean mail carriers again not going to be shocking face the hazards of snow avalanches ice packs cliff hugging roads seas of mud dangerous waters all on horseback or all with carriages so nothing like today which there's still plenty of dangerous things just in other capacities and the next change for the system of mail delivery is going to be railroads so from what i could see as early as november of 1832 railroads were already kind of proving to be a really valuable and important asset in the delivery of mail so on november 30th 1832 the stagecoach contractors were given an allowance of 400 dollars a year to carry the mail on a railroad and the post office was like super enthusiastic about this new mode of transportation because they right. were like oh well if we can get people mail faster they're going to use the mail more, which makes a lot of sense. Ironically enough, when the railroads were first being built, they were actually slower than the (laughs) stagecoaches because there were only like a few tracks and a few lines. So like there really wasn't a lot or like many places for it to go. So it makes a lot of sense. So on July 7th, 1838, all U.S. railroads were officially designated as postal routes. And this is going to increase the railroad-based mail service, which is also going to increase the need to build railroads. And I thought this was super cool. Again, I feel like if you're not a mail or train person, like none of these things are that interesting. And I'm neither of those things. But I was like, this must have been really freaking cool. Like to try to figure this shit out, I can't even fathom. So on every train, there were these route agents and they worked for the postal service. And basically they were the ones that opened up the large pouches and like, I'm not going to use the word parcels because eventually parcels is going to mean something else. Okay. But like all of your mail would be packaged into this like uh, um what is it like one of those like brown paper bags okay yeah and then you would basically put that mail on the train and then people in a specific train cart would rip open those pouches separate the mail for wherever the local points on the line were and then they would have to basically set whatever the balance was or if there were any like ones that were going further to distribute to further post offices for further sorting. A sorter had to be able to separate the mail quickly into compartments based on the final destination. They were able to work at the rate of 600 pieces of mail an hour. Damn. Which is crazy. Yeah. Like, I read that and I was like, holy shit. Like, I... I mean, I, mean, I guess I guess, that's ten, I guess that's like 10 per minute. Yeah. And think about, too, if like... If that's wrong, don't email me. I can't do math. No. <laughs> No, I think that's pretty accurate because if you think about it, like you have to figure out what the hell it says and it's not like people were writing on this like 
you know people weren't like printing like laser printer quality shit right well so and this wasn't permanent zip codes i learned were not invented till 1943 mm-hmm. so like there wasn't an easy okay it's this zip code it goes here it's this one it goes here yeah and sometimes like some people didn't necessarily know the exact location Right. You had to know a lot of information about like where the hubs were Mm -hmm. and where you would need to sort it to go, which I think is super cool. So I'm going to go to the Pony Express now. Okay. Because I was really excited and I was like, oh my God, my whole segment is going to be on the Pony Express. Really fast horses and like super cool stuff. Not ponies, by the way. Regular horses. But I guess Horse Express sounds less cool. Yeah. Horse Express. Horse Pony Express. Horse Express. I feel like it's a little bit more of a like a tongue twister. Yeah. So I was very disappointed. And hopefully you're not going to turn the episode off when you find this out. But the Pony Express was not really as cool or as detailed as I had originally anticipated. So I feel very lied to. Uh, That's fair. I learned that yesterday, but also felt the same way. Yeah. So it only lasted for 18 months. From April 3rd, 1860 to October 24th, 1861, the Pony Express delivered messages, newspapers, and mail using the relay system of horse-mounted riders. So if you're not sure what that means, not you, just anyone who's listening. The royal you. Relay. (laughs) The world you. The relay meant that, like, people would take, like, a shit ton of mail and travel super fast and then go to the next person who was waiting with a fresh horse and a fresh rider and then keep going. So the horse mounted riders stretched from Missouri to California, which is pretty cool. And again, we're talking 1860s. Uh, It was operated by the central overland California and Pikes peak express company. So I guess pony express is just a way faster way to say it. And this was the coolest thing. It reduced the time of messages, travel time between the Atlantic and Pacific coast to like, 10 days that's it wow that's pretty impressive i know and i was like that's actually really cool because i don't know how long it takes to drive from one end to the other but i would imagine it's probably a comparable amount of time right so i think it's pretty cool it made it the most direct means of east-west communication and then just really poor timing and just historical technological changes the transcontinental telegraph was established in October of 1861 and the Pony Express went bankrupt because they just straight up couldn't compete with the telegraph system. I mean, fair. Yeah. But the Pony Express is still ex- like explained a lot in today's history or like if you go to the um, museum in Washington, D.C., they have like a whole like stagecoach thing about it. And it's really just like popular because it gives this sort of like fantastical lore of the American West. And like mm-hmm. you had these like young, rugged riders and they had these like fast horses and like American individualism and just like basically look at how Americans can like deliver mail. <laughs> kind of. So yeah. I mean again, I don't it's like just total magic. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> there's so much <laughs> Oh my god i'm like where where did i leave off no you're doing great um okay so we're going back to 1823 okay. so 10 years after the post office had first started to use steamboats it actually made waterways postal roads as well so now we have the post office um who's got contractors on horseback and stagecoaches and also steamboats which are carrying letters um and eventually what will be packages so the other rabbit hole that you can go down, which just adds to the 
the wonder and majesty of both the postal system and trains is the introduction of stamps. Yes. So (laughs) I did not know how much information there really was about stamps. Uh, I truly did not appreciate the magnitude of information there is about stamps. And I will be completely honest when I say I got like four paragraphs in and my eyes were bleeding. So I just like kind of just took it and ran with it with what I did understand about the, like the history of stamps. So before stamps were introduced, the recipient of the mail had to pay the cost of postage. So like you'd get a letter and then the person would be like, okay, time to pay. So, okay. Like a collect (laughs) call. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But like, you didn't well, I guess you didn't necessarily know a collect call was coming, but at least you had the option of right. being like, no, nah, I don't want to I, wish I don't want to pay for this shit. I wish you could mail things collect. Yeah. Right. A person would show up at your door and be like, here's this letter for you. It's X amount of cents or dollars. And you had to you had to pay it. Um, if you didn't have the cash on you, then you would possibly not get that delivered to you, or it would get delivered to like a random place and you'd have to like eventually pay for it there. So the um, post service realized that this was like pretty inefficient and Mm -hmm. it slowed the postman on his route. Right. So the addressee would sometimes refuse a piece of mail and then that would have to be taken back to the post office. And then it was like a waste of time and money and energy. So I guess you could technically refuse it, but I mean, the post office tried to like avoid that. And so that's why they actually started to establish stamps. So occasionally a sender would pay the delivery costs in advance. They'd make some type of specific arrangement, but the postage stamp was basically the automatic way to do that. And it was also the way for the postal service to start to be funded. So that's going to be a big thing too. I'm sure Mm -hmm. like in your segment, because that's pretty much where most of the revenue. And I don't even know if we should call it revenue because it's not a business. It's a fucking service. I'll get into it. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Um, So the first stamp was authorized by an act of Congress and approved on March 3rd, 1847. And it was the earliest known use of the Franklin five cents. And it was five cents. And I think it had Benjamin Franklin's face on it. Mm -hmm. And then there was a Washington 10 cents that was used in July of 1847. So same year, just a few years later. Um, I think it is kind of cool that Ben Franklin was the first stamp because he was technically like the first postmaster general. But yeah, um, the five cent stamp paid for a letter weighing less than one ounce or 28 grams and traveling less than 300 miles. The 10 cent stamp for deliveries to locations greater than 300 miles or twice the weight deliverable for the five cent stamp. That is directly quoted from Wikipedia. I'm going to just be totally honest. That's fine. So the last big thing is the introduction of the parcel post system and then what's called rural free delivery. So the parcel post system basically was just like the realization that eventually people didn't want to just send letters. They wanted to also send parcels and packages. So originally you actually had to get a separate contractor. So that's where you get like UPS and FedEx essentially in the privatization of delivering parcels. But once the U S post office kind of realized that they were losing money on that. Mm -hmm. And also like, I don't know how old FedEx is, but I'll give you an example. Like FedEx could really like inflate the cost of people shipping stuff so the postal service realized that they would have more users 
if they could also offer postal uh, parcel post delivery. So the other big development came in the late 1890s with rural free delivery. So this was something, again, I never really considered because, mm-hmm. you know, living in New Jersey, there's really beautiful farmland, um, especially near where I work at school. And just like there are some areas that you would drive and you literally wouldn't know that you were in New Jersey. But in like rural farms, you know, like I never really thought about how you get mail or how you get to a hospital or just like grocery stores like I never thought about that now so like imagine the 1890s basically what would happen is families would have to walk or you know ride their horse or whatever to pick their mail up yep and sometimes the offices were like a couple days away from where they were located so they would either have to pay private carriers to deliver them or that would just end up costing them more so people typically didn't really get the same type of like information or communication if they were rural. So in 1896, they introduced rural free delivery, basically that allowed for mail to be delivered directly to rural family farms. And that's going to start to lead to the mail being directly delivered to people's homes. Okay. And since this increased the volume of mail being delivered, they took advantage of these newer services and people in rural areas started to order more goods and products, which was also what kind of led to the parcel delivery system. And I'm trying to see there was, Oh yeah. So this was like, I don't know if you have this fun fact. Did you have a fun fact about the laundry? No. Okay. So from the 1910s to the 1960s, college students used parcel post to mail home their dirty laundry because it was cheaper to do that than washing the clothes themselves. No. Yes. No. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, could you imagine having to carry people's dirty laundry right? around? I'm just imagining being like the mom who got that in the mail and I would just be like, no. Here's yeah. 10 cents. I'd be like, do your laundry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the post office also had to start imposing maximum daily mailable limits of like poundage. Okay. So apparently there was this one guy, he was, um, building a bank and he yes i saw this did you see this so he sent eighty thousand masonry bricks yes 407 miles via horse-drawn wagon yes for the construction of a bank Mm -hmm. than like having it delivered so parcel posts led to the growth of mail order businesses so we have i mean that's literally what we have today like most of our stuff is online mail order stuff So by 1924, the post office was reported to have nearly 350,000 employees, and it was one of the largest organizations of the early 20th century, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I have some stuff about the strike in 1970. I have, I mean, so yeah. So on August 12th, 1918, the post office department took over airmail service from the United States Army Air Service. Um, and since then, you can still order things like if you do uh, like first class shipping, a lot of times that those letters get put onto commercial airplanes, right. which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'll talk. You know what? The last thing I'll talk about is the postal strike of 1970 Perfect. because that is going to sort of directly go into where we're at right now. Yep. So historically postal workers have been paid like garbage um and there were a few strikes in the 1890s and i'm pretty sure they actually unionized because of that which was when like the whole labor movement was going on in most places in the united states and kind of the world yep so on march 18th 1970 postal workers 
Is it really? I mean, not 1970, but. I was like, wow, you look great. <laughs> March 18th. You're like 50. No, March 18th <laughs> is, though. That's awesome. So on your birthday in 1970, Uh 30-something years before you were born. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what year you were born. 22 years. Okay. 22 years before Sarah was born. Yes. Postal workers in New York City were upset over low wages and very poor working conditions, and they felt motivated and emboldened by what the civil rights movement had been doing so they organized a strike against the united states government so the strike initially involved postal workers in just new york city but it eventually spread to over two hundred and ten thousand uh postal workers across the nation which is pretty badass the strike ended without any concessions from the federal government but Ultimately, postal worker unions and the government were able to negotiate a contract that gave the unions most of what they wanted. Um, And then in addition to that, there was the Postal Reorganization Act that was signed by President Richard Nixon on August 12th, 1970. And the act replaced the cabinet level post office department with a new federal agency, which is now going to be called the United States Postal Service which took effect on July 1st, 1971. I also read that during that strike, um, he deployed like 25,000 soldiers to New York to deliver the mail because like they had to get the mail delivered. And so they were like taking people from the army to deliver it. Wow. That's got to be, you know what? That's got to be an eye opener too, because like it's not, I imagine easy to like sort mail and deliver it. No. Like, I was watching a video on how they do it, and I still don't know what the fuck I watched. Yeah, no. It's wild. So, yeah. So that kind of leads into where we are today with our Postal Service. Yes. And so, the Postal Service, kind of at a high level like we mentioned, sort of lives in a weird place where it's a government agency, but it actually gets zero tax dollars. So it's, like, Mm. not funded at all by taxes it's funded completely off its own revenue from things like stamps and shipping costs and when you like buy materials there and things like that so it's a weird kind of in between and because of that what happens is it gets talked about a lot like a business right like it's operating at a profit or a loss it's losing money things like that even though it's a government agency And I literally have, like, an MBA. Like, I went to business school, and I still don't understand why the hell a company even needs to make profit. So don't take my word for this. But (laughs) um, I'm like, shouldn't you just break even? I don't know. But basically, the agency has been losing money for a really long time. Partially, that is attributed to a lot of declines in, like, first-class mail and other high-priced shipments. So usually if I need to send something quickly, it's cheaper to go through, like, FedEx or UPS. Right. And additionally, I'm mailing less because I'm not sending a letter, right? I'm sending Mm -hmm. packages way more than I am pieces of mail. Right. So they're already kind of on a decline. And I tried to look a little bit because there's, like, a, a law that, you can't compete with the USPS because it's a government agency. It's like a allowed monopoly. And you- right. I was going to say, I think they're, I think when they introduced the parcel act, mm-hmm. they made it so that you couldn't compete directly with them so right. that people weren't inclined to like try to find another private like parcel carrier. Right. So I tried mm-hmm. looking into a bit like, well, why are FedEx and US or UPS allowed 
And a lot of it's just like technicalities, right? Like they put urgent delivery on their boxes because the idea is it offers like quicker service than the USPS and is therefore not competing. Okay. Um, and things like that. But it all seemed stupid to me. But either way, <laughs> people use the mail less. And when they do use the mail, it's for like smaller things. So yeah, I mean, I, what did I, I mean, the most recent thing I mailed were my change the date magnets. Yeah, fair. So yeah, I do not mail very much. So it's been losing money for a while. Um, Last year, so in 2019, the agency lost $9 billion. So billion? Billion with a B. So, okay, here's a question. Like, lose how? Like, if you're not making money, like, if you're, like, is your job, is the job of this to make money? So, no. But so I'll, this explains part of it. Like part of the okay. reason is they generate enough revenue every year to cover all of their operating costs. So they aren't actually okay. bringing in less money than they need. But in 2006, something called the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act was passed. Okay, and I saw it this. basically required them to put money away for future pensions and like retiree health benefits and things like that. Okay. And so gotcha. it, it has like this 50 year schedule over the first 10 years, they were supposed to save $5 billion, but they've kept seeing like net losses in revenue. And so even okay. though they generate enough revenue to cover their costs, the pension and retiree benefits they have to pay for push the bottom line into the red. So they get enough money, but then when they have to put it aside for this, mm -hmm. they're out of money. So this is probably part of the collective bargaining in terms of their union too. Like yeah. this is the require. Okay. Got yeah, it. I think so. And so that act passed in um, 2006. In 2012, they started defaulting on their payments. So they've been mm -hmm. behind on these payments because they can't both operate and make these payments at the same time you know what pisses me off about this too and this is a more of an interjection slash fun fact is i was reading somewhere that the usps employs like nearly a hundred thousand veterans yes which yep. like makes me sick that well, this is like a fucking issue it's just also like wow imagine if you didn't need a pension or health benefits from your employer mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> we got to start a second podcast where we just like rage against uh, yeah. all of this bullshit. Basically. <laughs> so under the CARES Act, which was the act passed this year, um, kind of the stimulus and reaction to COVID, mm -hmm. they became eligible for a $10 billion loan from the Treasury Department, wow, which okay. would help. But of course, there was all these like weird stipulations put in by um, the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin, and mm. it took them like months to be able to even get the money, right? Like, I think that was passed in March or April, and they got it in like July. And so basically, from a financial standpoint, they have enough money to get through a little while. The barometer that I will talk about is they have enough money to get through the election, um, but they okay. need some sort of financial lifeline. Um, after the election right so basically they were already losing money uh, right for years they've been doing poorly yeah then a pandemic hit and i'll talk about how that affected it after the pandemic hit we get a new postmaster general who's a hot mess mm -hmm. and all of that is kind of adding up to the point where now the election could get screwed because of it right so they have all these financial problems already and then in addition when covid hit at first it was really bad for them because a lot of the carriers got sick Ugh, yeah. and so they fell behind on the mail at the outset. And then mm -hmm. at the same time, revenue and like volumes plummeted because people start st stop sending out like advertisements as much. 
People were buying less. So all of a sudden there was like less mail. It did slightly improve because Amazon made a deal with the USPS Mm -hmm. that basically ships a lot of things through them. Right. And they make a lot more money off that since Amazon's not using a third party. So that has put them in like a slightly better position. It basically Amazon only uses themselves or the mail. Yes. And so it's basically, from what I could tell, that kind of has made up for the COVID-related problems, but not Mm -hmm. made up for the, like, 20 years of financial issues. So then in June 2020, Louis DeJoy is appointed Postmaster General. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of like I said before, he is a large donor to Trump. He's given $360,000 to a Trump PAC. Mm -hmm. He is known, um, there's a bunch of, like, anonymous sources that he has quote, major financial interest in private competitors to the Postal Service. So it's not really public what that is, but it's like he probably invests in like FedEx, USPS, or UPS, stamps.com, that kind of thing. Right. Um, he is not appointed directly by Trump. So the way that it works is the president appoints a board of governors for the Postal Service and they appoint the Postmaster General. Okay. So it's not a direct appointment by Trump, but the people who picked Louis DeJoy were appointed by Trump. So his hand is in it. And he's actually the first Postmaster General in almost 20 years who isn't a career postal employee. So Mm. they have done a pretty good job of it being people with some experience. Which I would imagine. I mean, look, like I said, I did like four hours of intensive research on this and it is incredibly complex and yes. it is incredibly detailed so i would imagine that you should 100 percent know what the hell is going on correct. to be postmaster general correct but basically he got brought in under the the kind of trump guys well he's a businessman and he'll he'll know how to get them back to making money or being able to sustain operations right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he began implementing a bunch of changes that sucked basically um including one of the members of that board of governors so again trump appointed he quit like in protest over all the stuff DeJoy was doing so the first thing he did is he eliminated overtime pay and basically said if it's not delivered within your hours you'll take it the next day but that caused a bunch of backup right right right? and he claims like he didn't eliminate overtime and i think it's slightly dependent on where you are it seems like some post offices still have it and some don't but he says it saves on cost including the cost of transport but it has them like so backed up that it's hard to ever catch up right right he also did a bunch of restructuring so he like removed and reassigned a bunch of agency leaders and displaced two executives who oversaw day-to-day operations and had been in that position for a long time so he like meaning he fired them i saw displace which i think means he might have moved them to another part of the organization got it um because it's all like structural reorganization he banned employees from making extra trips to deliver mail uh implemented a hiring freeze requested to be able to like quote-unquote early retire non-union employees so just a bunch of like shitty labor type stuff yeah and then what also started happening is sorting machines started getting removed and turned off with no explanation and he says the volume of mail is down for covid so that's why but you know coincidentally those are the sorting machines that would be used for mail-in ballots in november Mm. so right before he got appointed it basically started to become clear that there's going to be a huge surge of mail-in ballots due to covid right And that's going to cost a lot more money because it's not only an influx for the USPS, it's like a very short period of time influx. Right. Mm -hmm. And Trump basically stated in an interview, he was like, no, they want money, but they only want it for mail-in ballots, so I'm not giving it to them. Like, 
Yes, I do remember. I remember seeing that. Yes. And so it's basically like these problems existed before and COVID is exacerbating them. And then the pandemic or not the, the election is compounding it. And one of the big things I read about was like a message went out to states. And this is kind of what caused a lot of the panic is a USPS sound on a message saying like, based on your mail-in voting deadlines, we might not be able to count all of the ballots. Like you might not get them in time. Right. Which is why it's super important for you listeners, anyone who is like glancing at this episode, get a, a list of when you are supposed to have your ballots mailed in by if that's how you're planning on voting this yes. year. Yes. There's like a list circulating and I'm sure there's probably some stuff. Oh my God, Siri just started talking. <laughs> Actually, probably you could ask Siri and Siri probably yeah. knows everything. Yeah. And there's, so this letter that went out, it was more of a, more of a threat than like an actual policy change. Right. So one of the big things is that the way it works right now is marketing mail is like the cheapest form of mail you can send. So it's when you're sending something in bulk, like junk mail and it's at a really cheap rate, your ballots are prepaid as marketing mail, right? So like they're already postaged and you send it off. And therefore they're typically marketing mail would be cheap and slow, right? It doesn't really matter when it gets there. It's junk mail, whatever. But the USPS has always treated ballots as first class mail. So even though it's paid for at this lower rate, they treat it like regular mail that needs to get there as quickly as possible. Right. And so this letter basically said, if we continue having issues, we might have to treat it as marketing mail unless the individual states pay for it to be first class mail. So they didn't actually change that policy. It's just sort of a, hey, we might have to do this. You should like pay for it to be regular mail because they are kind of doing a solid, right? They're taking it at a cheaper rate and delivering it as if it's a different rate. Right. So that hasn't actually happened. It was just kind of a, this could happen threat oh my god and then the other part was about the deadlines which a lot of states allow for you to mail your ballot back the day of the election and as mm -hmm. long as it's postmarked by that day it will be ultimately counted right um the usps is basically saying your deadline is too close to the election that ballot if we do this as like marketing mail might not get there until it's too late for you to ever count but, it but if it was first class mail it would be fine correct okay. um and so states in this case can and like do have the right to just move their deadlines if they want like that was sort of the you should consider doing this thing. right which is that that was the list that i was talking about before yes that there is like uh here's where if you really want this to be counted for sherzies this is when you need to have it done by exactly and so again it's not the post office like i am going to do this it's like here is the situation and here's how it might affect the election so it was a little bit i think of like a, a fear-mongering tactic but it could very well be a problem especially as they remove sorting machines and remove mailboxes that they say have to do with the volume but volume will go up for mail-in ballots right especially um, because you have so many this is ugh, yep you have so many people who are in areas like people say that the mail doesn't matter like there are people who get their fucking medication through the mail. Correct. There are people who like rely on this because they don't have the same quick technology. Like right. people send their rent in this way. People get paid this way. Like, yeah, this is an important necessary service that we've as a country decided that our government is going to control, but like not actually fund. Right. Yep. Ridiculous cool stuff it makes no fucking sense i don't know how other postal services work though so like i don't know if like the british post is i would imagine it's probably government funded but like i, I don't know so. 
Right. But I don't know if it is government funded or if it's this in the same boat as ours. Yeah. I, I feel like that's probably some dumb United States thing. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. But yeah. So that's basically what's happening is as of today, the post office is like getting by and will probably be okay mm-hmm. through the election, but they need some sort of money to keep operating as normal. And they currently have someone in charge who basically is like a business person trying to cut costs as opposed to trying to make them able to And like, I think that, you know, there are probably ways you can cut costs that are not detrimental. Right. I'm sure there are ways, like a hiring freeze, that's probably a good way to cut a cost. Yeah. But then you can't take away hours from people. Exactly. Like, I I don't run businesses. I don't have any type of understanding of business in terms of like professional but i think common sense would be sure hiring a lot of companies are doing hiring freezes right now which is fine but like then you can't demand the same amount slash more work with less like you just can't and i think i'm so pissed about this because as a teacher this is basically what we're to do and it's like here's do more with less than we've ever given you before and it's just kind of like well how how is this supposed to be happening right it doesn't make sense oh no it's so it sucks basically go buy some stamps yeah what i personally am probably going to do is get an absentee ballot fill it out and then physically take it to a drop box at the election office yeah that's what i was thinking about doing too i have um, a list of like where i can go yeah i do what well, i'm going to i think volunteer as a poll worker okay on that day right. um so i'll just bring it with me that day and drop it off in the box there but yeah. obviously a lot of people can't volunteer and that's why they need volunteers. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like dropping it off is a good way to not have to worry that it's never going to get there in the mail. And also if you could maybe like not have to fucking work on election day, that would be really great too. Yes. And there oh, is, I wanted sorry. to like half debunk a Facebook meme. So there's a thing oh, that, yeah. that's going around a lot. That's if you put a stamp on your ballot, they're forced to treat it as first class mail. Um, And it would get there. That is technically true, but right now no actual policy has been implemented that they won't treat it as first class mail. They have not said yet like ballots will be marketing mail. It's only been like rumors. Right. It was kind of like we might have to. And so that might change if they officially say that. It might be safe to put a stamp on there and hope it gets it there. But as of today, September 12th, 2020, um, right now it will still be treated as first class mail. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. So that's all the depressing stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, we got some bomb ass fun facts. Yes. I'm not like fun, weird stuff. Um, Though I did try. I was like, there's got to be conspiracy theories about the post office, right? That it's like run by the Illuminati or whatever. I googled Googled post office conspiracy theory and I went through the first 10 pages of Google, which were exclusively basically everything I just told you being called a democratic conspiracy theory. Right. right, Um, Like that's all it was, was like Mm -hmm. governors issuing statements about how it's a conspiracy theory and like all that. So apparently this week the conspiracy theory was true and I couldn't (laughs) find, I even tried, I Googled like the postal Illuminati or like post office Illuminati. (laughs) I I Googled post office Illuminati and got an article called the postal Illuminati, which was about letters are fucking sent in invisible ink. (laughs) So that actually ended up being about the United Postal Union, the UPU, which is kind of like a treaty between a bunch of countries to send each other's mail, um, which 
Okay. And Trump was like, we're going to pull out of it. So like, it was all about that. So it wasn't an actual fun, like Illuminati theory. So I don't have continuously depressing. Yeah. I don't have a conspiracy theory besides the true one happening. Um, so I just have a bunch of like random fun or weird facts. Yes. So the USPS operates one of like the biggest civilian fleets in the world. Mm -hmm. They have like a ton of cars. And most of them are this car that they call a life or a long life vehicle, an LLV. I saw this term and I was like, what the hell is this? And so it's just like the type of car they use, but they actually haven't been made since 1994. So they're the majority of their 230,000 vehicles, but they haven't made a new one since 1994. So like the trucks that are out on the road are still... Are these the ones, because I did a little research onto this, and they don't have air conditioning, airbags, like brake, like anti-lock brakes. Is this the same one? So I don't know if these are, let me. Because like it said that I saw a Chevrolet Grumman. Yes. And so those are, I think, a lot of the like little mail trucks you see driving around. Yeah. Um, They could have, I think I saw one thing where some of them have been like updated. Right. Yeah. And now they have air. Ended expected lifespan in 2017. Right. So they're probably starting to do more now, but a lot of them were 20 something years old and never rebuilt because they were long life vehicles. They were designed to last for a very long time. Right. Um, So I just, I didn't know that. I thought that was fun. That is cool. And then there's a lot of stuff just about basically like the USPS is big. It delivers 47% of the entire globe's mail. Like, wow. As of 2017, there's a little over 30,000 post offices in the U.S. And every year they deliver about 150 billion pieces of mail. Oh, my God. Um, And so, like, one of the things I thought was interesting was that for every penny increase in the average price of gas. So if that goes up one penny, the USPS Mm -hmm. spends an extra $8 million a year on fuel. What? Like, that's kind of the... The scale of it. They have so well, many cars. think about cars. it, because fuel isn't just cars. It would right. also be planes. Yep. And probably, I don't know if we fucking use boats anymore. I'm not even going to say boats. Uh, probably not. I bet we do. I bet there's still some type of mailboat yeah, that, like... mailboat. Yeah, mailboat. Like a sailboat, <laughs> but a mailboat. Sailboat, but a mailboat. And the sails are made of mail. Yes. <laughs> that was not that funny. I'm so... <laughs> it's fine. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, so basically, like all of that to say, the post office is really big. Yeah. Wow. Damn. Um. So I mentioned this earlier, but I thought it was interesting. Zip codes didn't exist until 1943, and what happened then was that a bunch of postal workers had to leave for World War II, and so they lost like a huge portion of their workforce. Wow. And they needed to be more efficient, right? They didn't have as many people so they developed zip codes initially just the five digits as a way to help them like sort mail better because they didn't have a way um and it was like a guy who was a postal inspector submitted a proposal basically saying like what if we all had three digit codes that told people where we lived and so that was kind of like the very original piece of it and then somebody else was like well we're gonna need five digits and then eventually they added four more right wow that's cool. Yeah. Um, but I had ne- I don't know, zip codes are so like intrinsic. I just never thought of it. Yeah. I honestly I've I would have never again, these are things that like I have a creative mind when it comes to like writing or 
I not really even art, but just like expression. I yeah. straight up could never engineer something even remotely like this. <laughs> Fair. Um, let's see. So a fun fact I kind of mentioned earlier, they're like rain or sleet or snow. Mm-hmm. That is not actually the post office's motto. They don't have a motto. That that is just written really large in like a headquarters office somewhere. Oh, it's in New York City. Yes. Yeah, it's from a um I think I saw it was from a Greek poem. I don't know what fucking Greek poem is talking about that shit, but I don't know. Yeah. Odyssey, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> it's just a quote from, <laughs> probably. With the Odyssey he traveled for like 20 something years, which does not bode well. <laughs> right. Delivery times. <laughs> it's fine. Um Let's see. Fun fact is that the Hope Diamond was once delivered by mail. So they were... Is that the one on the Titanic? No, that's the heart of the ocean. Oh, okay. That wasn't a real one, but I feel like... Yeah, I don't think that was real. Um, The Mm -hmm. Hope Diamond is just like a giant diamond, basically. I don't know why it's important, but it's like 42 carats or something like that. Um... (laughs) And basically, they needed to mail it to a museum to hold, like, whoever was giving it to the museum needed to mail it. And so he put it in just, like, a simple little brown box package. He paid, like, $2 for the shipping. And he did insure it. So the total cost um, to insure it was a modern-day equivalent of about $900. Wow. Um, and so that insured it for a million dollars and it, it just went through the mail like normal. And it was partially sort of a statement, um, uh, a statement by Harry, the Harry Winston, um, like store company, him as a person yeah. that like, I trust the USPS. I've never had problems with it. So I'm going to mail this like priceless diamond. That's good PR. Yeah. Right. Sure. And that yeah. it's like on all of the, like, it's on the Postal Museum website and the USPS website. They're like very proud about this. Yeah, for sure. I would be too, though. I mean, I literally can say, isn't that diamond priceless? Yeah. <laughs> How like, can you insure this? It doesn't have a fucking price. I wondered that. I was like, it's worth more than a million dollars. For sure. Even yeah. with inflation. I just Googled and it's worth $350 million. What? So like. What do you even do with all that money? You don't buy more hope diamonds <laughs> right so that's like one of the most like valuable things to ever be mailed obviously um speaking of mailing valuable things though until 1915 it was kind of legal to mail a baby it was oh my god it was from what i could find kind of like a legal like it wasn't illegal to do it but it wasn't an explicit use case for the mail yeah that you were supposed to do right like they didn't advertise it as like right, but mail your children. There was nothing you could do to stop it. It wasn't against the rules. So there was one story that I saw a bunch that in 1914, to save money on train fare, a five-year-old girl, her parents like paid 53 cents and mailed her to her grandparents. So she rode the whole way in the mail car, and the mail clerk on duty just like brought her to the front door and left her there as if she was a piece of mail so they just put a bunch of stamps on her like jacket i guess like i don't think she was in a box or anything from what i can yeah. find i mean i i mean it's good that she wasn't in a box but like right. what just it, weird yeah so that's um I mean, could you imagine being a fucking mailman and like you're handed a baby and it's like they have to go here um like what do you do yeah i you, you said it wasn't illegal Right. So you couldn't technically deny it. And then what happens if you get there and the person's like, I'm rejecting this collect call. Oh my (laughs) God. Well, this, the parents did pay the postage. Okay. okay. They paid the 53 cent postage. Oh my God. 53 cents. 53 cents. Wow. So yeah, in 1915, they like explicitly made it against the rules to do that at least. But (laughs) 
Um, let's see. A fun, I found one kind of like mini badass babe. So a woman named Mary Field, and she was a six foot, 200 pound former slave. Uh, she became the second woman and the first African-American to work for the so- Postal Service in Montana. She wow. began working there at the age of 60 after she hitched a team of six horses faster than any cowboy did. And she never missed work for the 10 years she worked there. So from the time she was 60 to 70. What? That's so badass. Right? I loved her. In Montana, too. Like, damn. Yeah. That's going to be some rough, like, terrain to deliver yes. mail. Yeah. And she was doing and stuff, she like, was, better than the cowboys. If she was formerly enslaved, then she pro. I mean, this is probably the 1890s, early 1900s. Right. So really not a lot of infrastructure out there. No. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. I loved her. I love that. Um, Let's see. While the post office does not have a motto, they do have a mascot. And so it was a a terrier named Oni. (gasps) Oh, my God. And he was eventually put down after he bit someone. Oh, um, Jesus. And stuffed, like taxidermied, and is in the National (gasps) Postal Museum. Hate it. Hate it. Like, a mascot doesn't have to be the real dog. It can just be, like, Oni the terrier, and we all move on. Here's a picture of him. Not here he is. Here's, like, a cartoon, and this way it never dies, and is always just, like, this fun dog. I think it's really funny that it was a dog, and, like, there's, like, this whole rivalry between male people and dogs yes and because like it says it bit someone too and the first thing is i picture a dog biting a mailman right like you know what i bet that person deserved to be bit that's my thought that's fair normally dogs only behave that way when you are doing something that is directly threatening to them yeah and obviously he was probably super friendly i don't even know this dog but i'm gonna go out on him he was probably super friendly to be a male like the postal service mascot that he yeah. was probably super great what i saw is that like he basically got retired from like traveling with the post office and given yeah. to someone but he got like really old and cranky and in, in his old age and yeah. he like did attack like a postal clerk or something like that oh, um that and then was like basically killed but then they stuffed him and put him in the museum which i don't up. enjoy i don't like that and then they had the nerve like after the postmaster killed him they had the nerve to issue a forever stamp <gasps> that's not cool right i don't like that no. here's this dog that we killed after its years of service to us because it was tired yeah hate it Blech hate it speaking of stamps i have a couple fun stamp facts so george washington has been on more stamps than any other person including the first set of general issue stamps in 1847 that you mentioned is that just american stamps i think so okay because i feel like queen elizabeth ii is yeah because what i was reading was talking about the usps so i think it's just american stamps that makes more sense um so when you talk about like the special stamps that are issued The first Mm -hmm. one that ever had a white guy on it. So not like the general issue stamps, but the different ones they put out. The first one with a white guy on it was in 1893. Mm -hmm. The first one with a white woman was in 1902. So like nine years Mm -hmm. later. Okay. The first stamp with a black person on it was in 1940. Wow. So it was Booker T. Washington was the first African-American to appear on like a special issue stamp. Okay. And then do you... I want to make you guess just for fun. You're never going to guess it. But oh what the best-selling stamp ever has been, like to date, the best-selling commemorative stamp. In the United States? Yes. Um, do I know? this? Is it a person, place, or a thing? It is a person. I'm going to guess. <laughs> I was going to guess something like a not real person. Like no. Big Bird. Big Bird. Like, it, like not- a celebrity. <laughs> 
<laughs> now it is a celebrity, but now I'm like, if it was Big Bird, would I have said person or thing? I mean, oh, that's actually really true. I would have said I would have said person, yeah. even though that that to me that's like a character. Yeah. So it was. Elvis. I was guessing a Muppet. Elvis. Elvis. 1993 Elvis commemorative stamp. Wow. Yep. And I guessed Big Bird. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> I don't feel like I the big, big Big Bird, Bird fans. Stamp. I don't feel like the Big Bird fans are old enough to buy a stamp. Big Bird is iconic. He's I mean, been fair. around for so long. That's fair. You're right. No, like no disrespect <laughs> to Big Bird. How dare you, like, sour the name of Big I Bird on this podcast? I would never mean to. How dare you besmirch him? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So my last fun fact is probably, like, a darker fun fact, but I wanted to include it, is the phrase going postal. So oh, it's like an American shit. slang phrase, and it basically means to be, like, uncontrollably mad, right? Like, to lose your shit. Yeah. to become violent and it's it says like usually in relation to a workplace environment i don't feel like that's how it's used like i had yeah, never i don't think i've only ever heard it being like yo they went postal yeah but, never like any explanation of like where right but yeah. it does come from um a series that started in 1986 where usps workers shot and killed managers and fellow workers oh and like members of the general public there was just this like spree throughout a few years where it was really common and i read that oh, at, wow. at one point like let me see where is it so the postal service in 1998 accounted for less than 1% of the full-time labor force okay and 13% of workplace homicides were committed at postal facilities. Oh my God. And there's no real good like explanation for that. And after a few years, it like stopped being a thing. It like evened out to about normal. Wow. Um, But so that's where going postal comes from. It wasn't like one person. It was like there was an initial one in 1970. And then again in 1986, someone killed like. 14 people in 1989 it happened again 1991 1991 1993 oh 1993 and so it just like somehow became this idea that like people who worked for the post office were the ones losing it and there's Jeez. i couldn't find any be reasons i mean yeah there's probably a whole psychological study you could do on this but I'm i mean sure. we're literally talking right now about how postal workers are being shit on exactly and they're literally expected to do like I said earlier, like way more with way less. Right, exactly. And I'm sure it's like a hard job and all that. And so it, it's interesting, though. I just wanted to include it because I it's one of those phrases where I feel like you don't really think about what it means. You just say, yeah, going. Postal it's funny, actually, it too, because um, Eric and I like Eric's gone for the weekend. Mm -hmm. He's camping or hiking or something. I don't know. He's not here. And <laughs> yeah, he said that he's going to come back tonight. And I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I'll keep you posted. And I was like, oh, oh. Posted. I was like, well, that's a really good thing to say. Cause we're doing I this episode on the USPS. And he was like, okay. Okay. Like, bye. Okay. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Me. Um, but yeah, so there was basically a period of time when it happened and people were like, oh, is it a postal worker? Yeah, that sounds right. Who cares? Like, wow. Yeah. And instead of looking at that as like a, we should do something about this. It's like a fucking, not a joke, but like, oh, I'm not surprised. Mm. Mm. Right. Mm. Exactly. Wow. So that is that. 
yeah um, i mean so that's those are, those are my fun facts i mean there's all sorts of like weird shit but those were some of the things and people i thought were interesting yeah for sure and i would definitely encourage anyone like if you are remotely interested in this there's so much information out there and it is actually yeah. pretty cool i mean it's just like i said it could be its own series <laughs> like yeah. it's so so much detail also um go buy some stamps yeah go buy some stamps and you may not know this i've learned that a lot of millennials don't know this you can just buy them at the grocery store when you're checking out you just ask for a book of stamps and they'll give you one Mm -hmm. yeah or they'll say sure you gotta go on over to customer service and they'll get you stamps yep but you don't have to go to the post office specifically right and you can order them online from usps if you're looking for like pretty ones like yeah we got like special ones for our wedding yeah, so and you can do like extra. Yeah, there's commemorative ones and different things like that, like we were talking about. Like, I bet right yeah. now there's Halloween ones that are out kind of like for the oh. season. Uh, and have one for holidays. Yeah. Hopefully, you all know what I'm talking about when we say stamps. <laughs> Some people are like, what? <laughs> you can well, do things not online? Stamps.com. People still don't know how to address letters. Call me stamps.com. <laughs> All right, folks, that is the USPS. Thanks Oops. for listening. Yes. And uh, go vote. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yes. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to What the History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WTHistoryPod. You're also welcome to email us at WhatTheHistoryPodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions. Please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed and we will talk to you soon.